Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. I hope you're having an awesome, awesome day. Tonight, we're going to get into some very interesting scriptures as well. Second Samuel chapter 16 through 18 and several of the Psalms again. Isn't it awesome, you know, reading through these scriptures and discussing them among them ourselves? It is awesome. Welcome to those of you who are joining on TikTok and on Podbean and on many other platforms as well. As always, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, DLive, and a few more. So anyway, we're going to read about Absalom. We're going to read a lot about Absalom, David's son. Now, there are lessons to be learned here as well. And we're going to read several of the other Psalms as well. And isn't it like the past several days, reading through the Psalms has been just absolutely amazing, hasn't it? I mean, just the uh, the amount of prophetic, just, just the prophetic richness of the Psalms is amazing. Amazing. All right. Welcome to you on TikTok there. It says here. Um, it says invite, invite others, uh, let people know, share the, share the live stream. And yes, throughout every, uh, platform, wherever you are, if you are hearing me or listening to me, uh, share, I encourage you share. Uh, we, uh, we read the scriptures here. We discuss among ourselves and any honest, any honest questions or any honest, um, People that would want to discuss uh, is absolutely welcome, even those who are uh, willing to come on as a live video guest, just impromptu, last minute. Yes, you are welcome to do so if, again, we have to make sure that you're not malicious, you're not a troll, uh, if that's, that you're just, uh, you're an honest believer and you're willing to discuss things. Uh, so, absolutely, you're welcome to do that. Let me know in the chat if that's you. Otherwise, you can just submit questions in the chat, questions and comments as we go along. I'll be checking the live chat on uh, several different platforms here. So feel free to do that. Amen. So let's see what we have here in the chat. Speaking of the chat, Kalamantos on YouTube says, Shalom, everyone. The Great Deception says, Shalom, everyone. Psalm 94 says, Shalom, everybody. One John says, Shalom. Mark says, Shalom. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Go for it, Randy, says Shalom Chris. Good to see you live. Hi, one John, one John as well. And good to see you too as well. Go for it, Randy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Blessings, blessings to you guys. So, hey, I mean, it, during this time of fellowship and reading the scriptures and discussing things amongst our, ourselves, uh, I just pray that you guys are absolutely blessed and uh, that God will lead us, right, from from precept to precept, from faith to faith. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, you know, walking with God is never, ever boring, is it? It's never boring. If, if, if someone is bored and they claim to be a Christian or a, they, they claim to have a relationship with God, well, I have some questions for that person. Let me just say that. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's come to the table, so to speak. Well, read the scriptures. If there's anything that's on your heart or your mind you want to share, please let me know in the live chat. Have any questions or anything like that? Um, you know, our our philosophy, if you will, here is is that everyone, uh, every honest, every honest person. <laughs> I always say honest person because there are some people that are not very honest. Unfortunately, every uh, every honest person is is uh, welcome to. Uh, to ask questions or to 
to talk about things. Maybe you have something you want to share with any, everybody, then that's wonderful. Um, nobody has a claim to exclusive truth. That's, that's one thing. I mean, I was, nobody has the claim to exclusive truth. If you find somebody who claims to have exclusive truth, like, like they are the only ones that know the truth or they know, like, like they know a hundred percent truth or something like that. I guarantee you, you have found falsehood. Okay. Uh, nobody has 100% truth. That's why we should all come to the table. We should all pr present our evidence. We should all talk about things and we should be willing to, uh, with an open mind and, um, an open ear to, to hear one another out, to listen to, to listen to one another. Um, and, um, and let, let the evidence speak for the, for itself. Let the truth speak for itself. Amen. Amen. Um, great deception asks a question here. Uh, what scripture is that where Paul was misquoting Isaiah? Very good question. Um, Romans chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. Compare that with what Paul was quoting. That is Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 to 21. Uh, for those of you who are interested in these kind of things. And by the way, I want to make it very, very clear. This is not the only place where Paul, uh, well, his quotes of the uh, Tanakh are not exactly in line with, with, uh, with, the scriptures, if you check, if you check it, see the thing is a lot of a lot of Christians, actually most, if not almost all Christians, when they read Paul's epistles, they never think about checking him against what he's supposed to be quoting. They never really, they, they just take it for what it is. Like what well, Paul says, it is written quote and unquote, and and so they just take it as if uh, Paul is as, as if it actually says that in the so-called Old Testament. But you would be surprised. I'm telling you, you would be very surprised at how many times Paul said it is written, quote, and unquote. And <laughs> well, let me put it this way. I'll just put it this way. If I quoted the scriptures like Paul did, people would be jumping down my, my throat a thousand times more than they already are. Let me just put it that way. If I quoted scripture like Paul did, people would be jumping down my throat a thousand times more than they already are. Let me see what we got here. Um, on TikTok, it says, encourage your viewers to share your live and invite more friends. Oh man. So we're going to be reading the scriptures here. Uh, and once again, for those, I see we got just some people jumping on here. I just, I was just dealing with a question. Uh, what was the uh, passage where Paul misquoted Isaiah? And uh, the answer to that question was Romans chapter 11, verses 26 to 27, compared to Isaiah 59, verse 20 and 21. Now, I will say this, that Paul's quote lines up more with the Septuagint than with the typical King James Masoretic text uh, translation. So um, having said that, it's still not in a direct quote. It's still not um, a word for word quote. Go for it. Randy says, God is the most amazing God, never boring, always there to assist his servants and watch over them. Yes. Amen. And amen to that. Randy. Vida, Vida says, Shalom, Elohim, bless you all. Shalom, Vida, good to see you. Welcome. And 
Elohim bless you more. Multiplied blessings to you, Avida, to you and yours. Okay, so um, I just got so many things going on here at once. I'm just kind of glancing around. Yeah, so we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter 16. Oh, yeah, before I do that, the Great Deception says, I meant there is none righteous, no, not one. Okay, uh, so that is um, Romans again. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and following. Compare that with Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, and Psalm 53, verses 1 to 3. Now, this is a little bit different if you really want like the specifics about this. Because, you know, what Paul says... Now, I'm going with the typical translation, like different translations can say different things, but typically any translation that's based upon the King James would say something to the effect of, um, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And that's what Paul said. But in the um, passage that he was allegedly quoting, uh, Psalm 14 Verses 1 to 3, so that'd be Psalm 14, verse 3, specifically, where it says, There is none that does good, no, not one. There is none that, there is no one that is good, no, not one. Um, and I know that people might say, well, what's the difference between good and righteous? Well, actually, they are, they are two different words. Good in the Hebrew is tov, and um, righteous in the Hebrew is sadiq. So um, it is different to say, are you good as opposed to are you righteous? Um, different words. And Paul, the way it sounds as if he's using the word for righteous in the sense that he actually said, I mean, the English translation actually is there is none righteous, no, not one. So um, that's a little bit more involved. You have to do a little bit more study into that. And again, that kind of lends to the idea that a lot of people believe that uh, Paul didn't know his Hebrew all that well. And I know that the Paulians will be definitely not feeling very comfortable when I say that. But um, trust me, there is a lot of different evidence to that effect. I mean, we have Paul, who's not even from a Jewish city, not from a Hebrew speaking city. Paul of Saul of Tarsus um, and someone would say, yeah, yeah, but he was a Pharisee. Well, you know, that's what he said. Um Again, there are people who contest that as well. But even even so, is you got to ask the question: like, is it possible to get to be a Pharisee and not know your Hebrew? Let's say, for example, if you are a Pharisee, that is, you are not from the Holy Land. You are not from a Hebrew-speaking, you know, Jewish uh, city or country. Can you be a Pharisee still without knowing your Hebrew? And well, that could be an object of uh, contention right there. Um, but knowing that Paul uses the Septuagint, quoting from the Septuagint more than the Hebrew text, is one huge piece of evidence. That goes to show, and he wrote in, in Greek too, I mean, because the Septuagint is Greek, right? So he used the Greek, he didn't use the Hebrew, and he wrote in Greek, he didn't write in Hebrew, and he's from a Greek-speaking uh, Greek city, Greco-Roman city, Tarsus, not Hebrew-speaking city. Um, and then he's got that problem of seed versus seeds in uh, Galatians chapter three, which I tell you, 
I've heard I, I've, how many Jewish people look at that and go, man, this guy has no clue what he's talking about because there's no such thing as Zeraim seeds when it comes to descendants. Descendants is always referred to in the collective plural seed. There's no such thing as calling say, well, I got I got, you know, two or more descendants. Therefore, I, I'll say they are my seeds. No, it just doesn't work that way. That's that's not how it works. It's like saying the farmer has a, you know, has two sheeps. Don't work like that. Two sheep. Okay. Anybody who says the farmer has two sheeps, well, you have to question their English or you have to question their their um their understanding and their fluency in English at least. So anyway. Gina says, Shalom, beautiful Mishpaka. I'm watching on TV. Just wanted to write on, on chat for a minute to say I'm so grateful to the Most High to be led to this channel. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah for you. Thank you very much for letting us know that. And um, I appreciate you. God bless you abundantly. Blessings multiplied to you abundantly. Amen. Amen. Uh, we are grateful. Charles on TikTok says, good point. I assume that's talking about Paul in regards to the Hebrew. And again, I know, uh, you know, the Paulians would be squirming right now if they heard me say that. But hey, you know what? I want the truth. I don't want to satisfy or cater to doctrine just because I used to believe it or just because I did believe, you know, I, I bought into it at one time doesn't mean that it's true. See, a lot of Christians, they don't get to that point. They, it's, it's the, uh, I believe it's called the anchor bias, right? The anchor bias in, um, when it comes to like uh, logic or psychology, the anchor bias means basically, uh, the first thing you hear, you believe it. And therefore that's the thing that you're biased for, you're, you're biased for that thing. And, and so if someone presents to you, a you know, a concept or presents evidence to you that's contrary to what you have believed or what you do believe, then you are biased toward what you believe because you don't believe that you have been deceived. Uh, you don't believe that you that that you could ever believe a lie. But if we're humble enough, we we should look at all the evidence and say, hey, you know what? Um, Let's be willing to change if the truth will lead us that way. God is a God of truth. If the truth leads us that way, we should be willing to change. That's how we grow. That is how we grow in God, right? You can't grow in God if you just go to a church and just believe everything you hear and then, you know, um, you get stuck there. You get, it's stuck, you get stuck in a rut. Your doctrine doesn't grow. You don't learn new things. Sure, you may be, um, you know, uh, encouraged. You may hear new messages of encouragement and inspiration and ear-tickling sermons, but that's not growing. Growing is actually changing. And so that's the thing. We need to be willing to, to change. Mm Will Sr. says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Good to see you. 
Good to see you. Okay, let's start with 2 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, we'll go from 16, 17, 18 and read several Psalms. And we'll discuss along the way. Amen, amen. Let's do it. Those of you who are on YouTube, you see I can share my screen. If you're not on YouTube right now and you want to go over to YouTube, just look me up over there. Christopher Enoch. Christopher Enoch on YouTube. I'm live right now and I'm sharing my screen. You can read along with me. Second Samuel chapter 16. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled. And upon them, 200 loaves of bread and a hundred bunches of raisins and a hundred of summer fruits and a bottle of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean by these? And Ziba said, you know, let's, let's, it's actually, uh, King James is not all that easy to flow with. So let's, uh, let's read the new King James for now. We do go through several different translations. Um, okay, so verse 2, and the king Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom to my father, or of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all the blessing, all, the belong, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I may find favor in your sight, O Lord my lord, O king. Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was, was Shem, uh, Shem, Shem, excuse me, Shemai, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out uh, cursing uh, continuously at him. He threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also, Shimei said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, or Zeruiah said to the king, Why should the, this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Well, that's quite a, that's quite a, um, a request, isn't it? Verse, but the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him, so let him curse because the Lord has said to him, curse David. And uh, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, see how my son 
who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now that may this Benjamin, Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty, um, that's a, that's, that's pretty optimistic, isn't it? Let him, let him keep cursing me. Let him keep cursing me. The Lord will repay me with good for his cursing. Verse 13. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so, I, so will I be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go in your father's, into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have abhorred, that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both to David and to Absalom. 2 Samuel chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come up to him, or I will come up upon him, while he is weary and weak, and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all when all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he, what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken her. Shall we do? As he says, if not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, The advice of Ahithophel has, has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, 
you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds. Like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place. And it will be when some some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, and will melt completely. For all Israel, that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise that all Israel will be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai the Archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For they had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel. Excuse me. To the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Just a little bit of a side note. Notice how in the scriptures, notice how God always works behind the scenes like that. Like he sets up different circumstances and different things in people's lives, sometimes for the good and sometimes, well, for in this case, for the destruction of the one who deserves it. Verse 15, then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and, and Ahimaaz stayed at Enrogel, for, there, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom. But both of them went, went away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahurim, who had, uh, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it. And the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servant came to the woman at the house, they said, Where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over the, the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass, after they, de they had departed, that they had, excuse me, 
that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly. Thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them left who had not gone, gone over the Jordan. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he sat on a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. And he put his household in order himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. Then, when, uh, then David went to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa king, or excuse me, and Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. And Amasa was, excuse me, this Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Yithra, the Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's, uh, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now it happened when David had, had come to, to Mahanaim, that Shobi, the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodebar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogalim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels, and wheat, barley, and flour, parched grain, and beans, lentils, and parched seeds, her, uh, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd. For David and the people who were with him, for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Second Samuel chapter 18. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one third of the people under the hand of Joab, one third of the under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, You shall not go out, for if we flee away, they will not about us, nor if, if half of us die. Will they care about us? But you are worth 10,000 of us now. For you are now more help to us in the city. Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ethan, Itai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the, when the king gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field of, ba of battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David in a great slaughter. 
of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The, the mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth tree. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth. And the mule, which was under him, went on. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in the terebinth tree. So Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you ten, ten shekels of silver and a belt. To Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. Then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And ten, and ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from Israel, where Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it is called Absalom's monument. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run now and take the news to the king, how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahimaaz, the, the son of Zadok, said to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, Why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? But whatever happens, he says, let me run. So he said to him, run. And Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates. And the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king. And the king said, if he is alone, there's mouth. 
and he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, There is another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first was like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good news. So Ahimaaz called out and said to the king, All is well. Then he bowed his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. The king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaaz, and when Joab sent the king's servant and, and me to your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is, a, there is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of may the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, or as he went, he said, Oh my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. If only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. All right, let me just check the comments here before I get on to reading the Psalms. All right, so those of you on TikTok, I am also live streaming simultaneously on YouTube and I'm sharing my screen over there when I when I read the scriptures. You might want to go over there and check it out if you like what we're doing. By the way, thank you for the likes. Thank you for the likes. It says more likes can attract viewers. Keep it up. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Will seeing you here asked a question. Uh, wow, Absalom, go into your father's concubines. I've never read this. So my question is, whatever happened to one man? And one woman cleaving unto his wife since the beginning. Yeah, uh, actually, that's a big, that's a huge question. Um, so Absalom going into his going into his father's concubines was absolutely not right at all in any sense of the term, uh, even according to the Torah. Uh, definitely not uh, not right at all. Uh, I mean, you got the. Leads to a question that a lot of people ask, um, and that is the question about you know the the like how did how was it that a lot of these patriarchs had multiple wives? Um, and I mean, to make a long story short, I mean, actually, maybe one day, Lord willing, it it, it actually deserves its own video. That the the whole topic of how it went from Adam and Eve to let's say something like Solomon, an extreme example, uh, David, I mean, David had how many wives, 
um, and that kind of thing. Uh, that actually deserves like its own video all, all in itself. Um, and so to make a long story short, uh, you know, without getting into all these, all the stipulations, um, it was really like the legal and because you see, like, it's hard. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm trying to think of how to get into this without, without spending like six hours on it. So, um, someone like Jacob, right. Had how many concubines and wives, uh, David as well. And you see, like, it was a lot of this, uh, you know, for one reason, let me just say one reason we can get into, again, we can get into a whole huge topic of the whole night, but one reason was for the reason of procreation. Um, and so that was one of the, what, one of the reasons, uh, for having these like David or, uh, Jacob, for example, had so many different wives. And Lord willing, we'll do a video on that uh, all in its own right. Uh, one John said, when did fornication become a sin? Well, it, fornication was always a sin. Um, yeah. Going nowhere. Do animals sin? To them, no, because they don't have a law, right? I mean, they don't they don't understand the law. They don't have a law. So to them, they don't. Um, to us, I mean, to us, depends on what um, what perspective you want to take. Like to us, animals could like. For example, if a lion, you know, tears someone to pieces, that's certainly not good. Uh, that's that's a sin, so to speak. You know, uh, it, you know, it's it's not righteousness. It's not doing what's good. Uh, it's it's doing what's evil. So they do commit evil in that sense, if you want to put it that way and define it in that in the, by those terms. Greg, Greg says, new to your channel, found you through the show with Dr. Snyder. I like this format. Shalom. Shalom, Greg. Good to see you. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Hope you feel at home over here. Will says, I understand, brother. It's a deep one for sure. It would be something I would look forward to. Okay. Very good. Good to know that. Yeah, it is a very deep one. Um, and I, I'm, I could do it. I could do it. Uh, I mean, by God's grace and God's mercy, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. Andrew asked the question, is it possible that the nature of sin has also affected the earth and everything? So when you say nature of sin, let me just let me just cut off nature, okay? Because 
I believe that the doctrine of original sin is absolutely wrong in every sense of the word. Um, so if you want to, re- if I, if, if I could rephrase that to say, is it possible that sin has affected the earth and everything? I would say yes, in more ways than one, you know, multiple levels. Um, like there's the surface level, let's say, for example, you know, someone steals from you. Well, that affects, you know, that affects you, that affects people around you, that affects lots of things, but it doesn't, but there's, there's a, there's another level. Um, sin can defile the land. We've read that so many times so far in, in our nightly readings here. When, when a person sins or a people sin, the land itself, the earth itself is defiled. Spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, it is possible for things to be defiled by the sins that are committed in its presence, if you know what I mean. Um, It's a very interesting concept because like, for example, we got Moses who, uh, you know, he was supervising the building of the tabernacle, for example. And the the commands that came through Moses was you have to actually um, atone for every one of the items of the temple. That's not the people. It's like the altar of incense needs atonement. It's like the you know, like the 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 table of showbread needs atonement. It's like the altar needs atonement. Um, and you know that's really what uh, Hebrews chapter nine verse twenty two is talking about. This is what Christians always use, and they apply it to Jesus and Jesus' blood. But in in the actual context that it's that it that it speaks, um, it's talking about the things of the temple, not the people. The things of the temple. So, yeah, the answer is yes, on multiple levels, um, on multiple levels. Do a search on the uh, on the Internet in, in some, uh, you know, how many times does it say defile the land? Like, how can you defile the land? Well, there's many different ways. But to make it make a long story short, you can defile the land through sin. Simply sin. Remember, it talks about the Amorites and the other nations that the children of Israel drove out of the land. Um, they were driven out of the land because of their sin. And remember how God himself in Deuteronomy chapter 9 said very clearly, if you engage in the same sin that these people engaged in, the land itself will vomit you out. Of course, this is not you know literal, but figuratively speaking, when a people, when a nation in, engages in sin, the land itself gets sick. Literally, you know, in a in the spirit in the spiritual realms, it is a very very deep topic, and it's a good question, Andrew. Uh, oh, you know, I I didn't see your 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 second uh, part of that question actually. No, the second part of the question as causing natural disasters and sickness and cancer. Sorry if I didn't explain it right. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that actually what I've been saying kind of goes right along with that because yeah, when, when, when the land is defiled, it will, it will react. It will react. And God is, you know, God's behind it too, in a sense. I mean, God, when a person sins or a people, a nation in, you know, uh, commit sin 
God being a just God, I mean, gives the enemy legal right over, over the land. The enemy in a spiritual sense and also in a, you know, physical sense as well. Um, so yeah, um, definitely the, the spiritual defilement of the land can cause natural disasters, sick, all kinds of different things. Yeah, everything. Absolutely. The Great Deception says the whole creation groans because of sin. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. Will says another subject would be about silver versus conjunction. I believe the new month starts at the conjunction. Uh, I have a verse that I can share sometime which leads me in that direction. Yeah, sounds, sounds, uh, sounds interesting, Will. J Cash Ford six seven seven zero says there seems to be a debate on the Trinity lately. Where do you stand? <laughs> it's a, it's it's one of the common questions I get. Like what do you like? What about the Trinity? What about like what what Bible translation is the best? You know, and these are the questions I get answer, uh, asked many many times. So um, again, this is a, something that we can do a whole video on. A lot of it is semantics. A lot of it is semantics. Like Yeshua said, you've seen me, you see the Father. Okay. I've done lots of videos on this as well. So again, I'm not going to go into everything right now, but um, I encourage you, Jay Cash Ford, if you're very interested in knowing exactly where I stand, I've got a lot of material on this stuff. Um, and a lot of the Trinity doctrine also comes from the, I mean, not all of it, but the vast majority of of it comes from the gospel of john and if you're interested in in where i stand there go on over to youtube and do a search for my channel uh, christopher enoch and you'll find um not only did i read through every every single word of the gospel of john um a few years ago but also i have uh, just recently i did a video on uh some of the issues for lack of a better term, with the Gospel of John. Um, and not all of it. Not, I didn't go into all of the issues that, you know, that uh, scholars have with the, the Gospel of John, but just a few. I would encourage you to check that out. Voice of One says, Are you familiar with Ken Johnson? He has a video on YouTube called Nimrod Empire. Empire. I think you'd find it interesting. Um... I heard of him. I don't know him. I heard of him before. I don't know of his stuff. Um, all right. Thanks for letting me. Thanks for letting me know. Voice of one. Okay. Um, Psalm 94 says, there's a scripture somewhere that says, even the earth groans under sin. I believe that's the same passage that uh, the Great Deception uh, was referring to. 
Uh, let me just pull it up. I'll pull it up. It is a passage from Paul. However, um, there there are different there are different references, a few different references in the Tanakh. Yeah, so the reference uh, from Paul is Romans chapter 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Okay, and uh, some of the references here in the Tanakh is uh, Psalm 48, Jeremiah 12. Psalm 48, fear took hold of them there as pain and pain as of a woman in birth pains. That's Psalm 48, verse 6. Jeremiah 12, 11, they have made it desolate. Desolate, it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate because no one takes it to heart. So, yeah, there are a few passages that kind of allude to that idea. But even more so, like, um, again, you read so many times where it talks about, let me just... um. Let's go here. Um, you look up defiled the land. I just did a search here for land defiled, and we have 34 times, 34 times. And I would say it's all in the Tanakh, actually. talks about the land is being defiled. Well, the land is defiled. Therefore, I will visit the punishment. The punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. That's Leviticus 18.25, Leviticus 18.27.28. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the the land is defiled, lest the land vomit out. Also, when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you, Okay, and it goes down. Yeah, I mean, there's there's several different passages that talk about that. The land itself being defiled. Yeah, and Pleo one two three in refer in reference to the Trinity, First John five seven, but First John five seven um, is something that has been added by an anonymous author long after the fact. I mean, scholars have that. If you, if you, most Bibles have that in their footnotes, right? So if you go to 1 John verse uh, 5, chapter 5, verse 7, excuse me, uh, you will see that in many different Bibles. Um, and the more accurate translation is we have three witnesses, okay? Um, just for those who are looking at it, First John 5, 7. In the King James, of course, I mean, the King James is definitely definitely not that accurate of a translation. But it says, uh, you know, in the King James, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. But down here you see in the NLT, the NIV, the ESV, the CSB, the NASB, the NET, 
the Darby, the uh, HNV, the in the Vulgate as well. Um, I mean, they all say just simply there are three that testify. Doesn't say who. And if you look at the footnotes, it says a few Greek manuscripts and some late Vulgate manuscripts add testify in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth. So it's added after the fact. It says in this um, footnote, very late manuscripts add, very late manuscripts add the rest of the, the, the verse. So uh, we need to take that into uh, consideration. Okay, so let's, let's uh, begin our psalm, Psalms readings. This is Psalm 26, a Psalm of David. Now again, as we read this, because like how many Psalms have we read so far? In each of these Psalms, it's like, not each of them, not, not every single one, but in so many, it's like first person Yeshua speaking according to the Gospels. You know, like the Psalm talking, the Psalm 22, like they pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 69, where it sounds very, very, it's actually quoted in the Gospels. Um, and several other Psalms as well, in, in first person. So let's read this. Psalm 26, vindicate me, Lord. For I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, Lord, and put me to the test. Refine, me, refine my mind and my heart. Can you imagine? Let me just stop here for a second. Can you imagine praying this? I don't know if anybody's actually prayed this. Can you imagine the past, like a past, going to church and a pastor, you know, the pastor standing in the pulpit and say, okay, let's pray, everybody. Okay, examine me, Lord. Put me to the test. Refine mind and my heart. That's a powerful prayer. Verse 3. For your goodness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful people, nor will I go with pretenders. Pretenders, hypocrites. Um, hypocrite actually means pretender. Uh, see what it says here in the footnotes. Dissemblers are hypocrites. Okay, there we are. Verse 5. I hate the assembly of evildoers. Uh, can you imagine Jesus saying this? And you know what? Again, every Christian should accept this as Jesus saying it. Why? Because this is the quote-unquote word of God. And according to Christian theology, Jesus is the word of God. Therefore, these are the words of Jesus, right? I hate the assembly. In other words, I hate assembly here. It can be easily translated also as church. There are other parts of the scripture where the word assembly is actually found in some translations and in others, it's church it means the same thing. Basically, um, I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not stand with the wicked. You know what? Just a, just a, again. Just some thoughts going through my mind as I read this. I can just imagine, I can just imagine, you, you know, Yeshua himself saying this about the antinomian church. Like, I hate the church of the antinomians. I hate the assembly of the anomians, the, you know, the lawless Christians. 
Verse 6, I will wash my hands in innocence, and I will go around your altar, Lord, that I may proclaim the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Lord, I love the dwelling of your house, place where your glory remains. Do not take my soul away among the sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. Again, a little bit of side note here. You know this word wicked in the English is related to the word wicker, like the wicker basket, meaning that it's kind of twisted and woven and you know that kind of idea. Not sure if you guys were are familiar with that, but the wording, uh, the word is related to that word wicker, or like the wick of a candle, twisted, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, and though, and in, excuse me, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Psalm 40. And then I'll get to your live chat there. Psalm 40, for the music director, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he reached down to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud. In the footnotes of the wasteland, the underworld, okay? So again, this is talking about like the resurrection, right? He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. It's like the, res- it's basically, uh, again, first person, Yeshua, speaking of the resurrection. And he set my feet on a rock, making my foot- footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who become involved in falsehood. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is no one to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. You have not desired sacrifice and meal offering. You have opened my ears. I cannot, I can't just go over this because guys, you know, those of you who know me fairly well would know what I'm about to say here. Because this is again, another one of these quotes from the New Testament that has been, it's not really misquoted, but it's quoted from the Septuagint rather than from the Hebrew. But let me just read this six, seven, and eight, and then I'll show you guys what I'm talking about. You have you have not desired sacrifice and meal offering. You have opened my ears. Now, keep in mind, what I'm reading here is from the Masoretic Hebrew text. It's from the Masoretic Hebrew text. You have not required burnt offering and sin offering. There you go, Christians. 
there you go. Uh, I should say not just Christians, but those who subscribe to the modern corrupt Christian narrative saying that this is how we get covered. This is not. This is what he says. You have not required. You have not required burnt offering and sin offering. Then I said, behold, I have come. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. I delight to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Okay. Okay, so this whole passage from verse 6 all the way through to verse 8 is quoted in Hebrews. Now, let me just see if I can remember um, Hebrews chapter Uh, let me see here. Then I'll go to the New King James again. Hebrews. Nope, not James. Hebrew. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, if my memory serves me correctly. Here. Is. No, it's Hebrews. Uh, where is it now? No. Um, where is it? Uh, Hebrews 4. It is. Hebrews 10, would it be? Hebrews 10, that's what it is. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Okay, here we are. Hebrews 10. Animal sacrifices ins insufficient. Okay, so. There it is right there, right there, okay? Now, I want you guys to look at this very carefully. The writer, the author of Hebrews, quoted what we just read, Psalm 40, verse 6, 7, and 8, okay? But he didn't quote it as per Hebrew Masoretic text. Again, if, if you know what the thing is? If Christians would just... Instead of taking everything the New Testament take like says as you know at, fa at face value, look it up. You'll you'll learn things. Look up the references when the New Testament references the so-called Old Testament, the Tanakh. Look it up and compare the two. This is exactly what we're going to do here. Um, I'm going to compare these two. Um, okay, just give me a second here. Let me just fix up the screen here so that you guys can see it better. Okay, all right, so. I'm just going to put it side by side here so you guys can see it really well. You know what I'm talking about. And let me just share the screen again. Okay, for those of you on TikTok, if you're not watching me on YouTube as well, put me, put me up on YouTube, you'll, you'll, you'll want to see this. If you don't know this, you need to know this, okay? This is not me. I'm just showing you. I'm I'm pointing out. I'm showing you nothing but I'm showing you scripture and scripture, okay? Psalm 40 is on your left. By the way, those of you who are on TikTok, look me up on YouTube. It's Christopher Enoch. I'm sharing my screen right now live. On the left, it's Psalm 40, verse 6, 7, and 8. On the right, it is Hebrews 10. So the author of Hebrews is quoting, supposed to be quoting. 
Psalm 40, 6 and 7. Okay? And 8. So let's read it again in uh, on the left. You have not desired sacrifice and meal offering. Okay? Hebrews 10, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Okay. You have opened my ears. But Hebrews chapter 10 does not say you have opened my ears. It says something completely different. Completely different. But a body you have prepared for me. And of course, in this context, they're pointing to the, the sacrifice of Yeshua, right? They're, they're pointing to the the sacrifice, they're pointing to, well, see, Jesus, he's, you know, he gave himself up to, to die on the cross. And that's what it's talking about, the uh, body you have prepared for me. Again, compare the two. And that's a huge, that's, that's not even, that's not even anywhere close. Open my ears and a body you've prepared for me. That's a lot different. Moving on. Just to just to just to prove that this is the actual um, passage that that is uh, quoting. Um, so the next one in Psalm forty, you have not re required burnt offering and sin offerings. So in Hebrews ten, in, in burnt offerings and sin in in sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Okay. Psalm forty seven says, "Then I said, Behold, I have come. It is written." of me in the scroll of the book. Now, Hebrews 10, verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Verse 8 of Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, oh, excuse me, I delight to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. Over here in Hebrews 10, 7, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, oh God. Now, this kind of this kind of thing makes me makes me think that it, it's a little bit more like Paul that actually is the author of Hebrews. Now, don't get me wrong; I there's a lot of reasons why I don't think it's Paul, but this sounds a lot like Paul because Paul does this a lot of the in throughout his epistles. First of all, he doesn't quote the Hebrew text, and when he does quote the quote the text that he quotes. Yeah, many times is not quoted properly, and then he he leaves out things like like when in uh, Romans chapter four when he's talking about um uh the the the, the gospel of faith you know you're you're justified by faith and and he quoted Deuteronomy chapter thirty to to substantiate his doctrine to support his doctrine, but he left out. Every, like he quoted it verse by verse by verse by verse, but every verse in Deuteronomy chapter uh, thirty, at the end of it, it says, "So that I may do it." You know, um, you know, not you know who's uh, who should go up into heaven to get the word of God that I may do it. Who should I, you know who should go down to, into the depths to get the 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 word or the the law, the Torah that I may do it. Well, Paul always left out that do. He 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 quoted it. He he. He quoted it verse by verse by verse, but he cut out every part of those verses that says, talks about doing the commandments of God. 
like I said, if I quoted scripture like Paul did, I wouldn't hear the end of it. And he did the same thing here. If it is Paul, if it's Paul, if it's not, it's somebody very much like Paul, okay? Barnabas or somebody else. But nevertheless, you see the same thing here, right? Where it's like, in the original text, it says, I delight to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. But he leaves that out. In, in the volume of the book is written me, to do your will, O God, period. Now, put that in the back of your, in, of your mind just for a minute, okay? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a little bit more uh, about what I'm talking about with Deuteronomy 30. But first of all, I want to show you guys that the author of Hebrews is not quoting the Hebrew. It's, he, he's quoting the Greek. And th this is how I know. If you go to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew. Now, keep, keep your eyes on where it says, in verse 6 here, where it says, you have opened my ears, right? In Hebrews 10, it's completely different, but a body you have prepared for me. Completely different, okay? But if you go to the Septuagint, now just go there, in Psalm 40, the Brenton Septuagint translation, go down. Now, in the Septuagint, it's 39 and not 40, but... Okay, so sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not. Okay, so let's go over here, actually, to the King James, just to make it, you know, to make it a little bit more consistent with the Old English. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Okay, hold on a second. Um... So verse, verse 5, wherefore, this is Hebrews 10, verse 5 in the King James. Wherefore, uh, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Okay, so there it lines up perfectly, right? With the Septuagint translated, translated into the English versus the Hebrew. Uh, no, the, I mean the Greek from the book of Hebrews translated into the English. It lines up perfectly. And then the next Part of that verse, but a body hast thou prepared me, is ver word for word from the Septuagint, not from the Hebrew. You see that? The the West, the, excuse me, the rest of it's not word for word though. Like like in Hebrews, it's like in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Now it says here, whole burnt offering and sacrifice for sin, thou didst not require. You know, behold. Um, then I said, behold, I come in, in the volume of the book. It is written concerning, I desire to do thy will, O my God, and thy law is in the midst of in my heart. Again, the author of Hebrews says, uh, then I said, and then said, I lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God, period. Leaves out, conveniently leaves out the, thy law. In the midst of thine heart, mine heart. Okay. So we see the same kind of thing. Let me see if I can. Um, so this is Deuteronomy. Actually, you know what? I said earlier, it's, I said it was Romans chapter 10. 
No, I said it's Romans chapter 4, but it's actually Romans chapter 10. So let's just, I'll show you what I mean. Because the author of Hebrews does exactly what Paul did here in Romans chapter 10. Okay, Paul, he, again, he cut out, he, he really did, <laughs> he didn't do it justice. Uh, let me show you guys. Deuteronomy. Um, again, let me just go to New King James again. And New King James up here just to make it, e oops, to make it easier. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 20, no, excuse me, 30, verse 12. So starting right here, verses Romans 10, verse 6. We're going to start at verse 5, just to give a little bit of context here. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, quote, the man who does those things shall live by them. But, it's verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Okay, here it is right there. He's quoting, okay? Again, just I want to make it very clear with you guys. Paul says in Romans 10, 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, quote, quote, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. So he's quoting it right here. It, it, uh, it is not in it. Um, this is Deuteronomy 30, verse 12. It is not in heaven. Excuse me, that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us so that we may hear it and do it. <laughs> Paul quotes just the first part, just, a, just one little part of that verse. Just basically just that. Who will, uh, do not say into your heart. Paul said, who will ascend into heaven? And in brackets, uh, that is to bring Christ down from above. Okay, so Paul conveniently leaves out this whole thing where it says for us to bring it, bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. He conveniently leaves this out. Then he goes on quoting again, quote, who will, who will descend into the abyss? This is Romans 10, 7. So he leaves out the whole thing about doing the law. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and he skips over that. And then he skips down to here. Who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us? Okay. Um, so basically, that's what he's trying, that's what he's quoting, uh, talking to who will descend into the abyss, the abyss meaning the uh, huge body of water, the ocean, the sea, whatever you want to call that. Um, who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? So again, Paul, you know, conven conveniently leaves out the whole thing about doing. So he's just he's just snipping part of a verse up here, uh, snipping a part of a verse, you know, down here, leaving out everything about obedience, leaving out everything about you know obe obeying the law. 
And he goes to uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. Again, he skips over the whole thing about obedience. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart. That you may do it. That you may do it. And if you if you line it up again, for those of you on, I see you know we got people on TikTok over here. For those of you on TikTok, if you if you go over to my YouTube right now, you'll see I I'm sharing my screen. I got it lined up. Deuteronomy chapter thirty versus Romans chapter ten. You notice in Paul quotes Romans uh, in Romans ten verse six seven eight. He quotes Deuteronomy 30, verses 12, 13, 14, but he conveniently cuts out part of each verse about obedience and about the law, about, about doing it. And so my point is this. When you go back to Psalm 40 again, when you go back to Psalm 40 and you compare it with Hebrews 10, you notice Whoever whoever's the author here, he did the same thing. Verse, uh, Romans 10, verse 7, Then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God, period. Doesn't, he doesn't quote the rest of the verse. But what it should say is, I delight to do your will, my God, your law is written, is within my heart. Again, conveniently cutting that out. Just, just saying. Play 0123 on you, on TikTok, excuse me, quotes, doesn't really quote it. You know, the, those of you who are listening to me, if you could please, you know, instead of put just, this is what, you know, you put like book, chapter, verse in there, but you don't quote it. Uh, it's just much easier if you actually quote it in, in the live chat. You just, whatever you got to do, copy and paste. It's much easier to quote it because otherwise people don't, most people don't look it up. And I just don't have the time to look up everything that's quote, like every reference that, that is thrown on the live chat. Uh, so, but if you actually put it in there, put the actual verse in there, everything that says in the verse, what you want to uh, show me or show other people that's, that's uh, reading your, your uh, chat. Please do, please do so. Uh, we'll, I'm, sh I'm sure we'll all appreciate it. Uh, so, Playo one two three says, Hosea six six, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Yes, you know the thing is this: a lot of Christians do not really think when they read that. They don't think. They don't put two and two together. They don't think, hey, that's in the age of the so-called age. It's all nonsense, by the way. Dispensationalism is just nonsense. But those who believe in it have a problem because this is about, this is supposed to be in the quote-unquote age of the law. This, this is supposed to be in the quote and unquote Old Testament. And what does God say over and over again is he doesn't want sacrifice. He doesn't want mercy. I mean, excuse me, he wants mercy, not sacrifice. Like he says in Samuel, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice. Or in uh, Psalm 51, you know, if, if you desired the sacrifice, I would bring it. But you don't desire that. What you desire is a, is a 
a humble and contrite heart. You desire re repentance and contriteness. That is what you desire. Andrew says, and this is something I spoke of, I think it was just, what was it, last night or the night before? I just, I just spoke all about this. Um, I, have, I have always heard that Jesus went to hell and was tortured. I don't believe that's true, but they say he did that as taking our punishment. It, there's so much wrong with that. So much wrong with that. Because what is, what is the punishment for sin? Nowhere does it say that the punishment, that God's full wrath on sin is to spend six hours on a cross, die, spend three days in, in the grave, and then rise again. That's not, that's not the punishment for sin. It's not. One John absolutely says totally false, and that's, that is part of the corrupted church narrative. Uh, each person is responsible for their own sin, and that is why 98% of Christians will be in the pit. You're, you're very gracious, one John. Uh, I, uh, sadly, to say, and I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying this with a, you know, with bad intentions at all, but it's very sad to say that I believe it's actually a lot more than 98%. Very gracious in saying that 2% will actually make it. I don't know, but I think it's going to be a lot less than that. But, um, but yeah, 100%, um, that's it. I mean, if, if Jesus is the sin sacrifice, the lamb sacrifice, as you know, Christian theology teaches he you know he fully he fulfilled the the lamb sacrifice. He's our sinless, spotless lamb. When the whole idea of the sinless, spotless lamb was never to pay for sin anyway, as in paying a debt, like the like the like the lamb goes to hell for me. Like what? Where do you see that in the scriptures? Trish, welcome Trish over there on, on YouTube. Pastor Enoch, I keep coming back to Psalm 2 in, in this time. We live on borrowed time of such persecution. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Trish says, punishment for sin is eternal separation from God. Correct? Yes. Yes. Eternal separation from health, eternal separation from peace, eternal separation from comfort, eternal separation from God. They get what they wanted. However, they won't get what they want once they get there because they'll want out. Over there on DLive, uh, Jean-Paul Baptiste says, hello all. Hello, Jean-Paul Baptiste. Trish says, exactly, this is speaking to one John, actually, and many feel they do not have to repent daily, hourly, minute by minute, but I do. It, repentance is a lifestyle, definitely. It, you have to live in a lifestyle of of you know, 
saying no to the commandments of the devil, right? A lot of Christians, they go by the commandments of the devil. Do as thou wilt. It's like, well, you're okay. You can do as thou wilt because you're covered. No, you're not. You think you are, but you're wearing the emperor's new clothes. Again, you guys got to see that. If you, if you, there's a few different cartoons on YouTube, and but if you ever, if you've never read the story or saw these little these little animations of the emperor's new clothes, if you're if you're up to it sometime, do it. Watch the emperor's new clothes and think about how this emperor is like Christians. This em, this emperor is like Christians because they think they're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, but they're not. They're naked. Pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jean-Paul Baptiste says only 144, 144 of which only 33% chosen. Yes, not sure what you're getting at. If you're, maybe you're saying 144,000. That that um, passage in the book of Revelation is talking about the biological children of Israel, not the um, mixed multitude. Yeah, Vinny says, I used to cringe so much when I heard it in church. Jesus went to hell for us. Total nonsense. One John, the 2% that will make it are the people who believe what we believe, I pray. Yes, amen. I pray there be that many, actually. Amen. Okay, so let's uh, let's continue with the Psalms. So we have Psalm 58 up. Psalm 58. For the music director, set to Al-Tashed, a miktam of David. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O gods? Are you gods? Let's check the footnotes here. Speak righteousness. Another reading is speak righteousness in silence. You gods is you mighty ones or judges. Now, again, this is, you know, in the Hebrew, it would be Elohim. You indeed speak righteousness, you Elohim. Um, do you judge fairly, you sons of mankind? Keep in mind, um, let me just speak a little bit on this here. Before I, before I get too far into it, let's confirm this. I'll do it right in you guys, right before your guy before your eyes um so this is the new king james version do you do you indeed speak righteousness you silent ones now that's quite a bit different than what we got over here and this is the nasb so the uh new king james says you silent ones. So let's check it out in the um, in the uh, interlinear. Okay. So we don't have 
this is even this is even more different in the in the uh, in the interlinear. We have, do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation, O congregation? Why does it say O congregation there? This is this is Hebrews four eighty two, which is Elem. It's only once. It's only one place in the entire scripture. No, two places. Very interesting. Elam. So apparently the NASB uh, translators, they, um, they interpreted Elam as or Elam as um, as Elohim or something to that effect. Uh, 481, very, very related, very close to the, um, from 481. Okay, so the, the root word of Elam is 481, which is Alam, to put silence binding. See, this is very, very strange because this word is so close to the word um, Elohim or gods. Like if you look up the word God, um, right from the very beginning, in the beginning God, uh, you will see Elohim. Which is 430. Yeah. 433 from 433. So interesting. Okay. Well, because of it being so different, we got here. Uh, do you speak right? Do you indeed speak righteousness, you gods, in the footnotes, mighty ones or judges? It seems to me that whatever text the NASB translators are using, it seems to be that they believe this is this is not Elam, but rather Elohim, because Elohim means gods or uh, mighty ones or judges. That's what Elohim means. So it's very, very strange. I have to look it up into a little bit more um, And what uh, what manuscript they're using there in the NASB? Very interesting. Now it could be. Now let's just let's just uh, together. Let's just go to the um, let's just go to the Septuagint. We'll look the same one up as uh, Psalm fifty eight. We'll look it up in the Septuagint. See what the Septuagint says. So again, this is verse uh, one, right? So verse one, the Septuagint. Uh, let's put it there. Brenton Septuagint. So it says, "If you do in, indeed speak righteousness, then you then you do judge rightly, you sons of men." So this is even different yet. So again, they probably get this word "judge" from somewhere from the like a root word of Elohim or El, um, as El means judge can mean judge or mighty man or uh, or God, 
whereas uh, Elohim can mean gods or judges or mighty ones. Um, and did you guys know, by the way, this is something that a lot of people don't know, you know, where, you know, the famous prophecy of Yeshua that, you know, um, let me just pull it up. I'm going to show you guys something. This is, this is a little, I know this is a rabbit trail, but the famous, famous verse in Isaiah chapter seven, I believe it is. Let's check it out here. I think you'll like this. So Isaiah chapter uh, nine, verse six, very, very famous for unto us, a child is born unto us, a, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Now you look up this word God in there, look up this word God. Now I'm just, just, I just want to point this out because it's very important for each one of you to know this. And I know this is kind of off the beaten track, but since we're kind of on the topic here. God, L, okay, 410. Okay, so this word, L, translated God in, the most, in most places, but translated mighty God here, most Christians would tell you this is referring to Jesus, okay? So if you look it up and you go deeper than the Strongs, okay, don't, don't stick, go a little bit deeper than the Strongs, and it will tell you here, in the Hebrew Chaldee lexicon, I've got I got it right up here uh, on YouTube. It says right here. Now I can't. I don't think I can highlight it. But let me just come to the top where it says in singular. It's Ezekiel thirty-one verse eleven. The mighty one of the nations, used of Nebuchadnezzar, used of Nebuchadnezzar. Very interesting little fact. I've never heard that in church. I don't know about you guys, but in church, I've never heard this. L. Christians would tell you that, you know, they would use this as part of, we talked about the Trinity thing before. But this is, you know, this is one of the many verses that they, that they use for the, uh, you know, to argue the, the Trinity doctrine. But, um, <clears throat> Apart from this verse, most of it's in uh, the Gospel of John. But um, here's interesting, because where it says, his name shall be mighty God, in the Hebrew is El. It's the exact same word used to describe Nebuchadnezzar. What am I saying? What I'm saying is this. It could, that word... L that's translated as mighty God in Isaiah 9 6 could simply mean a mighty one, a mighty one, like Nebuchadnezzar. A great man of a great man, basically. A great man. Okay, so back on over to Psalm 58. Do you judge fairly, you sons of mankind? No, in the heart you practice injustice. On earth you clear away for the violence of your hands. The wicked have turned away from the womb. These who speak lies go astray from birth. They have ven venom like the venom of a serpent, like, the, like a deaf cobra that stops up its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or a skillful caster of spells, God 
shatter their teeth in their mouth. Again, you know, we, we, we read this, something very similar to this just, just earlier. Right? How Yeshua, according to the Psalms, in context of Yeshua speaking in the first person, prays that God breaks the teeth of the wicked, shatters the teeth in their mouth. Moving on. Break out the fangs of the young lions, Lord. May they flow away like water that runs off when, when he aims his arrows. May he be, may they be as headless shafts. May they be like a snail which goes along in slime, like the, like the miscarriage of a woman that never sees the sun before your pots can ever or can feel the fire of thorns. He will sweep them away with a whirlwind, the green and the burning alike. The righteous will rejoice when he sees vengeance. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. And, and the people will say, there certainly is a reward for the righteous. There certainly is a God who judges on the earth. Very good. Now, for those of you, I know there's a lot of stuff going on there in the live chat there on uh, YouTube and uh, DLive as well. So you, you guys want to direct a specific um, question to me, make sure you put at Christopher at there. Speaking of DLive, we have Jean-Paul Baptiste says, thanks, Christopher, the, the Christos, many blessings, many blessings to you as well. Many blessings to you as well. Okay, many blessings multiplied to you. Psalm 61, for the music director on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, God. Give your attention to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Let me, let me or excuse me, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. See, again, this is like, this is Yeshua speaking first, first person. As you know, we, we read that Yeshua will have the, the Gentiles and the nations as his inheritance. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be like the will be like generations. He will sit enthroned before God forever. Again, this would this be talking about the resurrection? Appoint faithfulness and truth that they may watch over them, watch over him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that they may that I may pay my vows day by day. And 62, Psalm 62. God alone, a refuge from treachery and oppression. For the music director, according to Jeduthun, or Jeduthun, a Psalm of David. My soul waits in silence for God alone. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be greatly shaken. How long, 
will you attack a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? They have planned only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse, Selah. My soul waits in silence for God alone, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my refuge. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my glory rest on God. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in, is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. People of low standing are only breath, and people of rank are a lie. In the balances, they go up together. They are lighter than breath. Do not trust in oppression. And do not vainly rely on robbery. If wealth increases, do not set your heart on it. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and faithfulness is yours, Lord. For you reward a person according to his work. Psalm 64. Psalm 64. Psalm 64. For the music director, a psalm of David. Hear my voice, God, in my complaint. Protect my life from, from dread of the enemy. Hide me in the secret discussion of evil. Excuse me. Hide me from the secret discussion of evildoers, from the restlessness of the workers of injustice who have sharpened their tongues like a sword. They aimed bitter speech as their arrows to shoot from concealment at the innocent. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They make firm for themselves an evil purpose. They talk of setting snares secretly. They say, who can see them? They despise injustices saying, we are ready with a well-conceived plot. For the inward thought and the heart of the person of a person are deep, but God will shoot an arrow at them. Suddenly they will be wounded so that they, so they will make him stumble. In the footnotes, they or they make their tongue a stumbling for themselves. That actually makes more sense to me. Their own tongue is against them. All who see them will shake their heads. Then all people will fear and they will declare the work of God and will consider what he has done. The righteous person will be glad in the Lord and take refuge in him and all the upright in heart will boast. Amen, 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 amen. Okay, guys. Time for a little bit of chat. Time for getting to your live chat. Now, if again, if any of you have uh, submitted questions that you want me uh, to answer specifically, make sure you put at Christopher in the live chat. Um, and uh, just uh, heads up, I may not see your comment unless you do. 
I will try to get to as many as possible. Jean-Paul Baptiste. Um, just wondering where, where you where are you getting this information from? The Alam is one is the one angel who is the queen of heaven. There is only one equal. She is all of them. Um, just wondering. Are you a Jehovah's Witness? Just wondering. Trish says the 144,000 are the Jewish people who will preach to the world during the tribulation. I do believe that. Yes, I do believe that. The Great Deception says 144,000 or 12,000 from each tribe, not just Judah. That's a good point. Yes. You know, when I sometimes when I hear the word Jewish, I, I'm taught, I, I know technically speaking, you can say, you know, it's just for the people of Judah. But yeah, um, sometimes when I say the word Jewish or when I read the word Jewish, I'm thinking about all of the sons of Jacob or all of the children, the descendants of Jacob is what I'm thinking about. So, but yeah, I understand that um, you have different definitions going on here. Will Senior says Amos 5.21. Again, Will, okay. I hate, I despise. Thank you for quoting it, Will. I was just going to say, uh, um, if you could quote it, I would appreciate it. Uh, I hate, I despise your feasts. I cannot stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Yes. Very much like that. Yes. And that whole, like that whole portion, the whole part of that, chapter two is really good in in uh in the sense that god really makes it very clear that he does not accept sacrifice to pay for sin um he rejected their sacrifice because of their sin therefore their sacrifice the blood sacrifice if you want to put it that way uh was not legit um was not legit currency to quote unquote pay for their sin i'm using like you know modern christian terminology here trish says uh, there's a young female at my job who openly scoffs at god um make me made me very upset and my boss told me to leave her alone hmm. it depends on you know what i'm just just uh, just thinking here as i read i'm not sure the Act, like all the circumstances that you know, every like all the details of what what went on there. But like, if she's openly scoffing at God just to upset you, like in that way, like purposefully doing it just to just to kind of troll you, and the boss said leave her alone. I would say, well, tell her to leave mine my religion alone tell her to leave my god alone tell her to leave tell her to leave, leave me alone let me just tell you there's a true true uh true story back when i again this would be the early 90s early mid 90s uh, i was working at um I, I was working at this place and there was a there was a few of us that were like you know really like really like we 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 brought like Bibles with us when you know during break and during lunch we would read the Bible we would always be talking we would be singing we'd be singing um, you know praise songs and such as we were working um, and one of the one of uh, the 
there was it was a young lady who was part of the fellowship, if you would, kind of like a fellowship within the workplace, if you know what I mean. So there was another young lady there uh, that was with us and, you know, uh, sharing her faith and sharing what she believed about God and sharing the Bible and sharing scriptures. And so other other employees would complain to the boss about her saying, tell her to, to you know, to uh, keep her religion to herself. So the boss went to her, true story. The boss went to her and said, I've received complaints about you. Don't, you know, you know, don't talk about your, um, don't talk about, you know, don't talk Bible anymore. It's, you know, these people are complaining about it. Don't talk Bible anymore. And she said, I have to put up with their filthy, obscene, language i have to put up with with their language so they have to put up with my god if i have to put up with their filthy language they can put up with my my faith my doctrine or my you know and the, the boss just kind of went couldn't say anything else. Kind of shut him up completely. He didn't say anything after that. Trish says, and the apostate church will tell us we are wrong, unkind, passing judgment. It is getting bad out, out here, but look up our redemption draws, draws nigh. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. You see, um, this is a thing. This is a thing. And you get this a lot, especially when you're talking about sin, like, you know, well, you know, you know, doing that is a sin or, you know, God doesn't want, you know, it says in the Bible, you know, that God doesn't like this or God doesn't like that or whatever. When you start talking like that, people always say to you, well, not always, but sometimes you get people saying, well, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge me? You're not judge. God is judge. And you know what I, you know what I always, I always say. And again, here I am pulling up uh, Paul again. But First Corinthians chapter six, and I do believe that what Paul said here is true. I do believe that it is in accordance with the extra biblical uh, books. Um, and Lord willing, we will get into some of these extra biblical books. Uh, as we get there, like Second Baruch, and we already went through Second Esdras, and some other books like that. But First Corinthians chapter six. This is what I always bring up when people. I always say a few things when they say, "Well, you, who are you to judge? Judge not, lest you be judged." That's one thing they say. But when they talk about, "Well, God is judge," and and they say, you know, that uh, they, basically they're a believer, but. God's the judge, so don't judge us and all this kind of thing. Um, let me just pull this up here. First Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to, to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints 
will judge the world. And so this word saints here in the footnotes, this C note uh, verses two or holy ones, right? Holy ones will judge the world. Um, so in, in the original, it says um, actually in different um, different translations. Basically, it's talking about the believers, okay? Um, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, because you see, Paul wrote to the church in, in Corinth, so the whole church are saints, okay? The whole church are the saints of God in Corinth. So what Paul is saying here is, listen, do you not know that that you guys will judge the world. You will judge the world. And if the world if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to form the smallest law law courts? In other words, are you not competent to uh, to judge you know the very s- small things? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So I I like that part. I do like that part because it's like, no, wait a second. It says in this, it says God is judge. Yes, he is the ultimate. He is the one in ultimate command. But he gave his authority to Yeshua. It says that in, in some portions. Yeshua gave his authority of judging to the 12 disciples. For He said, in, you know, you guys will be the 12 judges of the 12 tribes of Israel. But it says here that anybody who's truly born again, anybody who's truly a believer, a saint, anybody who's truly part of the church will judge the world. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you sitting in, in you are the judge sitting on the bench in court and the world comes before you case by case. Not only, not only that, but Angels come before you, angel by angel. And your job, given by God, is to judge. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yes, and they always say, yeah, they always say that, that we're passing judgment. They're the ones that's actually passing judgment. They're the ones that are actually pass, passing judgment. And they are hypocrites because they condemn, they condemn the true believers for passing judgment. But their condemnation of that is actually passing judgment. So they are condemning others for doing what they are actually doing. Jason uh, says uh, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world did not know him. Um, He came unto his own and his own received him not. I would highly recommend that you read, uh, not read, but watch the video I did um, several days ago on the Gospel of John. Actually, just last Friday, I touched on that as well, uh, a little bit later in the video. So, in in a nutshell, okay, um, first John chapter one is an amazing um, chapter. Uh, Christians need to know that their own scholars, Christian scholars, will tell them that John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 was not in the original. 
it was added much later by an anonymous source. So we got to keep, we got to take that with a grain of salt. Isn't it amazing how all of these passages now, again, there, there is evidence. It's not just someone who's just saying, Oh, you know, that's against this kind of stuff. Don't get it. It's not just someone who's got a chip on their shoulder about this kind of doctrine. But we see a pattern here. You know, first John five, seven, John chapter one, verses one through 18. We see a pattern as time went on in the, in later parts of the cent- like second century, third century, sometimes even fourth century, and sometimes even later than that, like long after the fact, we have these things that are added. And it's how, it's like, it's the same kind of doctrine. First John 5, 7, verses John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I think it's important for us to know this. Again, what I'm saying is not... I'm not saying this, I'm just saying that scholars will tell you this. Jason says, do the scriptures were corrupted and not reliable? <laughs> um, let me ask you a question. What do you mean by do the scriptures? I... If I, if I am understanding your question pro, uh, correctly, I do understand that you're asking, are the scriptures, are, or do, do I believe the scriptures were corrupted and not reliable? Is that, is that your question? Just want to be clear here. This is a very interesting thing. Davey brings this out. Again, this is a Paul passage. And they, again, I, we got to always keep this, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, Jason, I'll get to you in just a moment. So Colossians 1, 15, um, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay, so I've said this many, many times, and those of you who have uh, heard, lot, there's, there's some of you, you've been with me every day pretty much for how many months now? You know what I'm going to say about this. And again, a lot of this is just semantics, okay? It's, this is very, very similar to, you know, when in the, in the Gospel of John, when uh, Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. So, many times you see a son and you see this son and you say, hey, I see his father. When I, see, when I look at that guy, I see his father. When I look at little Johnny boy there, I see his dad. Boy, he's like the spinning image of his dad, isn't he? I see his dad. Does that mean he is his dad? Of course not. You can't be a father and a son in the same. You can, I am the son of, I am the son of me. <laughs> I'm the son of me. No, it just doesn't work that way. He is the image of God. So what does that mean? You guys are watching me. On your device, whatever it is. I, earlier on, somebody said they're watching me on TV. Um, some of you, you might be on a computer. I'd probably most of you guys are on mobile devices. Um, however, someone might come up to you and say, "Hey, well, what are you watching there?" You say, "Oh, that's, that's Christopher Enoch." Is it really Christopher Enoch? Is it really Christopher Enoch, or is it just the image of Christopher Enoch? Is it really Christopher Enoch, or is it just a pixelated screen 
with tiny pixels in it that changes color all the time. And it forms the, uh, a two-dimensional image of Chris Farina. You know what I'm saying? So one person can look at that and say, that's not Chris Farina. That's just a cell phone with, 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 with colorized pixels on it that, make, that, that shows an image. That's not Chris Farina. Another person come over there and say, that's Chris Farina right there, right there, right on your screen. That's him. Again, it's semantics, right? So, yeah, so you can look at, you can point to Yeshua, you can point to Jesus, you can say, there's the Father. I mean, there's the image of the Father. I mean, when I see him, I see his Father. Just like when I see little Johnny boy, I see his dad through him. I see, I see how much, how, how similar they look, how similar they, you know, maybe not physically look in, in, in Yeshua's case, in Jesus' case, but, um, you know, in different ways. So Jason says, yes. So the, uh, basically, do I believe the scriptures were corrupted and not reliable? Uh, is that a, so let me just say this way. It is a known fact. I mean, this is not some crazy, crazy that some crazy, crazy made up. This is a known fact. And I've been showing people almost every night how much it has been corrupted. I'm not, apparently, I'm not sure if you've seen the even the last few videos that we did and the live streams. We're comparing, you know, Second uh, Samuel with First Chronicles and many places. It's not just different. It's a contradiction. Now, I know we got people, and I hope you're not one of these people, Jason, that actually worship the Bible, like, you, like bibliolatry. Where it's like, oh no, it's 66 book Bible, it's all inerrant, infallible, and there's no errors in it, it's not, there's no corruption in it whatsoever. What you're doing, if you're, I hope you're not, if, I hope that's not where you stand, but people who stand in that place, when they believe that, they're actually believing man and not God. They're actually believing man and not, not the, the it's right before your eyes. Like, for example, for example, Back, say, 500-some year, uh, years ago, uh, a gentleman, um, he put together one of the first Greek New Testaments, okay? And so he only had, back in those days, he only had 100 manuscripts that he was working by. Now, again, this is fact. He only had 100 manuscripts that he was working by. And within those 100 manuscripts, he recorded... 30,000, was it 30,000 manuscript variations within 100 manuscripts with just, within just the New Testament alone. That was way back hundreds of years ago before they had nearly 6,000 manuscripts like they have today. 6,000 manuscripts today. Almost. 5,700, the last count was. And there are so many variations, i.e. corruptions. There are so many that they, have, they can't even really count them all. They can only estimate somewhere between, well, half a million or more. Actually, it is a known fact amongst Christian scholars. Jason, if you're a Christian, it would be your scholars. 
It's a known fact that the manuscripts have been thoroughly, there, there are more variations in the New Testament than there are words in the New Testament. You've heard, I've heard it many, many times. Now, that's just the New Testament. Now, the New Testament has a lot more corruption than the Old Testament does, but the Old Testament still has corruption today. Now, does that mean it's unreliable? I'm not, no, I'm not saying that. So let's not go from, you know, from one extreme to the other. Let's not do that. Let's look at it. Let's look at it with, with a little bit of, you know, let's use our brains here. In the court of law, if you have four witnesses, and each of those four witnesses have the exact same testimony word for word, the case will be those the testimony of those witnesses would be thrown out without a, without a question. It's like for sure there's a conspiracy here. It's not real. It's not. It's 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 unreal. You cannot find four witnesses to to the same event and have them all word for word the same testimony without some conspiracy without some something going on but the real world tells you that with four witnesses eyewitnesses there are going to be lots of different contradictions and i bring this up again sorry for those of you who are listening i know i, I bring this up all the time please bear with me but for the sake of jason and whoever else that would be listening um Years ago, I did a, I did a, per, I, I, I studied the whole case and the story of the Titanic. Okay. And I found it so interesting that of, of the survivors of the Titanic, eyewitnesses, their, their stories contradicted each other so much, so much contradiction. You would, you would be shocked. One person said, well, th this song was the last song they played. Another one's like, no, I was there too. That wasn't the last song. The other song was. And they're arguing. Um, Captain Smith went down in the bridge on the ship. He stayed in the bridge. And the other one's like, no, I was there too. He jumped off the side of, of the ship as it was listing. And he was in the water. I saw him swim, swimming around in the water. And he was one, one of the ones that perished. But, but no, he didn't go down in the bridge. Two eyewitnesses, apparently. One of them said, right, we got uh, Mrs. Hart. She said, I saw the ship break in two. And the other, the other one said, no, the ship did not break in two. I was there. I saw it. It did not break in two. For a long time after that, the news agencies and the news outlets mixed up all the numbers. Like, first of all, it's only a few hundred that died. Then it was like 700 that died. Then it was like this that died. Then it was like so many. Even today, we see in, 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 the, in the information age, even today, when we have an, uh, uh, you know, a major event that happens in the world, you go, you check out different news outlets, you'll have different, you'll have contradictory accounts. Even with cameras today, okay? So back in those days, there were contra contradictory accounts. 
But they all agreed on the same thing. Uh, the Titanic went down. Okay, it's it's gone. <laughs> they all agreed with on that one, right? Uh, they, they they disagreed on a lot of other things, a lot of other contradictions. But that's what made it real. That's what made it believable. They are humans. God works through humans. God has never ever said that I, you know. He never, he never, you know, makes a human perfect. He works through humans. And in doing so, humans make mistakes. And so when you have 5,700 manuscripts with 300, 400, 500,000 corruptions in them, it makes it all the more interesting. It makes it all the more believable. Why? Because you can trace the manus- you can trace the corruption. You can see it's like it's like I don't know, Jason, if you're living by like say a, a very long river, you know, if you're living by a very long river or even even a, a big stream or brook or something, a very long river is even better because if you're downstream it's going to be polluted. You're going to get pollution. But as you go upstream more and more, you'll see, oh, yeah, I see where that pollution came in, right? Oh, it's right here. Oh, yeah. Move up a little bit further. Oh, I see where another place where there's a breach of where, you know, the water is is muddied, the water is polluted, the water is, you know, there's there's a problem here. You know, oh, there's this factory over here. Oh, there's this, there's this uh, settlement over here. These people over here. There's this community over here, and it, it leaks into the, uh, it leaks into the waters. And you go upstream. You can, you can, you can trace the pollution, and you can see when and where and who did, did what. But as you do, you can trace it back to the source, and you'll find the the pure the pure water at the source. And that's, that's the fun of being scholarly when it comes to the manuscripts. That's the fun of it all. It's like, yeah, we see that for the first 400, 500 years, John chapter eight, John chapter seven, verses 57, all the way through to John chapter eight, verse 11, uh, is completely not there in any of, so it was obviously forged. It was forged into the Bible by an unknown, no-name whoever who just thought that maybe it just sounds good to put this story here. And whether or not the story is true is very, 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 very questionable because you got, even today, again, you know, you give it like five, you give it, you give it like five years, people, people um, forget a lot. You get five decades, people forget even more. Try 500 years, especially when you got nothing but word of mouth going on in the meantime. Same with, uh, you know, Mark chapter 16, the end of Mark. You got a whole, a whole, the whole passage of Mark chapter 16 there is not in the original. That's a fact. That's just a fact. That's not that's that's not me saying it. I mean, there's thousands of, of scholars that would say, yeah, that's a fact. It's not found in any of the early manuscripts at all. Which tells you that somebody in the name of Mark put that in there. And it's not it 
the reliability of that passage, put it this way, the accuracy of that passage is next to uh, very, very low. The, the probability that that passage is exactly, is true in every sense of the word is very, very low. And you notice you got passages like that where people, a lot of people have lost their lives because of it. You know, these snake handling churches, it's all based upon that passage. A passage that has proven, is proven. It's not in any of the early manuscripts at all. And I'm just talking a few. I'm just talking a few things, okay? I mean, there is a lot of stuff going on. Mark is, is one of the worst ones. Jason, I would highly, highly recommend you come to the table with an open mind, not an empty mind. You got to be very educated. You got to know what you're talking about. But don't don't come with all these biases and fallacies. Put about, put it all aside. You need to humble yourself. And this is what the thing is. Once you humble yourself and you say, hmm, I'm going to test everything that I've ever believed. I'm going to test you know, maybe when I was five years old, I heard the Bible was the inerrant, infallible word of God. I'm going to test that as much as I'm testing Christopher Enoch right now. I'm going to test that. May the truth stand. May the truth stand. May the truth stand. The truth will always prevail. And the truth don't prevail with people ignoring facts, ignoring evidence, turning a blind eye to it. If you, if you ignore it, actually you shouldn't ignore it. You should speak to it. If you got evidence against that, then please show it and the whole world will know. But Christian scholars, for the most part, they know that there are so many corruptions. And again, I'm not, don't get me wrong. These corruptions actually lend, lend credibility to, to the passages because it shows you, hey, again, once you know who it is, what it, where it happened, you can trace it. Then you, it, it's, it's like, a, you know, you, it, it's, it makes it a whole lot more believable. There are lots of, lots, 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 lots. Look at, look at Mark where Mark says, in uh, in the passage about when, when uh, Jesus was picking grain on the Sabbath and he said, you know, it, that um, in the, um, when they tried to get him with that, right? They tried to say, oh, Jesus, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're not going to pick grain. You're not supposed to do that. Well, he said, well, in, in Mark, in Mark, he said, in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, David went into the temple and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to do. Now, if you go back to the original story, which most Christians don't, they don't do that because they trust, they trust too much that everything's not corrupted. But if you go back to the original story, you will see that it's not Abiathar, the high priest. Abiathar comes later. It was Ahimelech that was a high priest at that time. And it was Ahimelech that David was dealing with, not Abiathar. Sorry, Mark. Gospel Mark. There's a corruption in there. Actually, a lot more corruptions than just that. But am I saying throw, throw out the gospel of Mark? Of course not. No way. I'm not saying that. 
All I'm saying is, let's be real. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just going to end by saying this, and I'll go on to the, the uh, more questions here. But I'll tell you the truth. You want to hear the truth? I'll tell you the truth. A, a lot of atheists have been created because of people who say there's no, there's no errors in the Bible at all. Because anybody with an unbiased mind comes at the, the Bible with honesty, without trying to cover things up, without trying to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, you can, you can reconcile anything. You can say, you can, you can make up all kinds of reasons and stories. And that's the key, that's a key phrase there, make up, fabricate. You can fabricate anything to make things work. When there's clear contradiction, you can, you can fabricate anything. There are so many contradictions. Does that mean it's all wrong? No, it doesn't mean it's all wrong. That just means it's a contradiction. Just like we got four witnesses in court. Yeah, there'll be a lot of contradiction. Does that mean that they're, that everything's all wrong, that everything they say are, you know, is wrong? No, it doesn't. It just means that they, for many different reasons, they have, there's a contradiction. I mean, that's just a fact. That's just a fact. I mean, look, look through the scriptures yourself. Put Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John up against each other. Side, like, side by side, by side by side, and go through it, everything piece by piece. You'll have more contradictions than you can shake a stick at. I'm not talking about differences. I'm talking about contradictions. I'm not talking about, well, you know, um, like, for example, well, Mark said that there is, um, you know, there was uh, meat on the table, but Luke said that Luke didn't say that. Well, that's a difference, but that's not a contradiction. It's just that Luke didn't mention, didn't, didn't happen to mention it. I'm talking about clear contradictions. Like Mark saying there's nothing but meat on the table when Luke says there's nothing but veggies on the table. That's a clear contradiction. Like I said, Mark said that David ate the showbread in the days of Abiathar, the high priest. It was a Himalek that was a high priest at that time, not a Biathar. That's a contradiction. Great deception. When you see me, you've seen the father. Agency. Yes, he represented his father. And exactly. That's what he was, that's what he meant. Trish says, uh, Jesus is not blonde hair, blue eyed, but the average Hebrew uh, ordinary looks. Yes, I do believe so. Uh, I think that um, Jesus was so ordinary looking back in those days that uh, that's how he could kind of hide and pass through the crowd and, um, you know, walk and talk with people and they don't even know it was Jesus at the time. Jason, I'm not sure if you're speaking to me or someone else, but says lines up with the, that of JW Kingdom Hall. Uh, the Great Deception says not a J, JW says might as well you you believe what they teach. Apparently, Jason, I mean, you really have a very narrow view of what people believe. Okay, I I talk to JWs on, on a sub, semi regular basis, and there are a lot of things. 
I don't agree with when it comes to JW. Okay. So there are a lot of things I don't agree with. Uh, they do have some things, right? They have, uh, you know, they have things wrong. Uh, like, like, like everybody, um, we have to be humble enough to say, Hey, we need each other. As long as we are humble and we're well-meaning, we come to the table, we present our evidence, you know, I don't say I'm, I, I have any kind of exclusive truth. I always actually, you know, speak against the idea of someone having exclusive truth. Like I have a hundred percent of everything is true and I know what's true and I know the truth a hundred percent. No, you got to be open enough to say, Hey, I don't know a hundred percent truth. Perhaps there's something that you know that I don't know that can change, you know, and if reason, God is a very reasonable God. He is the God of reason. He's not an unreasonable God. He's a reasonable God. He's a God of reason. He, he's a God who made logic. And he is a God of truth. He is truth. So if reason and logic and truth would lead you a different way, we'd ha- we should be. I mean, it's up to you. You can do whatever you want. But... If you if you really want to grow in in the Lord and in knowledge, if you really want to grow in God, if truth leads you a different way, you should be willing to go that way, even if it's against what you've believed up until this point. Wow, Trish, my mother was a was high in Baptist church and Pentecostal church, all while being a drunk and narcissist and committing adultery for decades. Very familiar with apostasy. Apostasy, and I'm 60 now. Wow, wow. You see, that's that's the reason why. You know that kind of stuff is 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 one of the one of the things that really dri- drives me on because I see so much corruption, not only in the lives of people in the church, but also in the doctrine of the church. And it, it, a lot of people can't do this. They can't do what we're doing here. They cannot step back from themselves. They cannot step out of, because they believe that they are so good that they've never believed, they will never ever believe a lie, that they're so good that they always have known the truth. They've always discerned the truth and they've always known the difference between tr- truth and falsehood. And so they, they are stuck in their ways. That's the problem. What people need to do, they need to be humble enough to say, you know what? This is what I've been told before. I have believed it, but I need to reassess. I need to reassess. Because you see, the reason why we have so many people in the church that are so hypocritical, the reason why there are so much, so much problem, so many problems in the church is because of the doctrine of the church. It's the doctrine of the church that it, that's where the corruption starts. If they get good doctrine, then they'll have good people. But when they when they have lawless doctrine, they have lawless people, and that's the problem. Again, I've I've heard so many atheists. The reason why they're and these a lot of these atheists come from Christian families or even churches, and they grow they grew up in the church. And the reason why they're atheists is because of this nonsense that that Christians teach. Like for example, the Bible is the inner like the 66 book bible no more no less well that's not that's not what god ever said god never ever said that god never ever said here's 66 books i'll give you a list of 66 books these 66 books are the perfect will of god nothing more nothing less 
And then the whole idea of God loves everyone all the same. God loves everyone the same and God's everywhere and God's omnipotent. That's another thing that produces so many, so much, so many atheists and no doubt, no doubt. It's bad doctrine that produces atheists. How many atheists do we have in the Bible? How many atheists were there in the days when Yeshua walked this earth in his presence? In the presence of the 12 disciples, how many atheists did the 12 disciples actually run across in their ministry? It's bad doctrine that produces atheists. Erlin says, Shalom, everyone, blessings and love, blessings and love multiplied back to you, brother. The Great Deception says, I turn 60 April 1st. Jason, you're stuck on this one. Uh, is God, is Jesus God in the flesh who created all things? Um, okay, so you got two different things going on here. First of all, is the whole thing about God in the flesh. And this is one thing you need to realize is in, in, culturally, in cultural context, okay, when you have a rabbi who is really in line with the Torah, they would say that they are like the Torah in the flesh, okay? The word of God in the flesh. Um, and so, again, this is all semantics. According to your own theology, if Jesus is the word of God, means he is what God actually spoke. He is the, he is the, the voice of God, the word of God. Okay, so can the word create anything without the one who spoke the word? Can the can a word in Genesis chapter one, can the world can the world be created by a word that was never spoken by anybody? Powerful quote there, Davy. <laughs> oh, well. I do not believe Messiah is beyond the flesh. Um, yeah, I get, again, it, 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 when, you get, when you get into these kind of things, it's very, like it's really like you're re we're playing semantics a lot of times, right? It's like, what does it mean by yawn the flesh? What does it mean by torn the flesh? What does it mean by, you know? It's like when you look up, when you look at somebody and say, you know, that person, I mean, you know, he is, you know, uh, well, you can... <laughs> I don't want to mention any names, but you look at a famous person, he's famous for something. You can say, hey, this is this is the personification of this, right? So does that mean that they are actually, you know what I mean? So it's like when you say that somebody is the personification of something else, what does that mean? Um, yeah, he sits to the right of himself. Yeah. <laughs> so if he sits at, if he sits to the right of himself, he also sits to the left of himself too, I suppose. Right hand of Elohim. One John asks a question, do you accept the Shroud of Turin? I do. I've read a lot about it. They still can't explain it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely would lean to this to the side of it, it seems to be legit. Jason says, one place it says God raised Jesus from the dead. The other places Jesus says he would raise himself from the grave. Is this a contradiction? No. Um, Okay, um, there's a lot to say about this as well. Again, we, we have been reading through the Psalms, and I'm not sure how many um, videos you've, you've actually been with us, Jason. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know you're with us unless you put something in the live chat. However, um, in the Psalms, there are many, pl many places where 
Jesus is praying and speaking of his resurrection. And it's obvious that he's getting his resurrection from God. Um, now, where it talks about him raising himself from the grave, I would, I don't know exactly what, off the top of my head, what, what I'm, not, I'm not doubting that it says that in one of the Gospels there, Jason. I would, I would, uh, I would tend to think it's probably the Gospel of John. And if it is, again, Gospel of John, I would highly recommend you look at the, you reassess the Gospel of John for what it really is. Look at the, uh, again, look at last, um, last Friday. Uh, Will and I were on and we were, we were talking about the, the Gospel of John quite a bit. I do have a video speaking about the Gospel of John basically dedicated to the gospel of john although it's not exhaustive i don't get into a whole lot of detail there but i do get into some things um but yes um keep in mind there is a hierarchy there are some manuscripts there are some books that are way more accurate than other books um i've always said this and i'll say it again uh matthew would be like the the most accurate luke would be the second under that Mark is definitely the least accurate of the Synoptic Gospels. Very, I, I mean, what I'm saying is proven. I mean, it's right there. There's so much wrong with, with what, there are many, many places in the Gospel of Mark where it's just absolutely proven to be off. I, I gave you, I give you a couple instances right there, you know. Uh, but anyway, the, the Gospel of John is on the bottom. Definitely. A lot of, a lot of scholars don't even know who wrote it. And, and a lot of the, um, uh, Evidence that we have, including from the early church fathers, would lead us to believe that it was it was written around mid to late second century, which is, by the way, a little bit too late. So Joseph, Joseph, or excuse me, it's getting late here. I'm getting tired. Jason says, uh, by the way, I don't believe in the whole, in the Trinity doctrine. I don't believe God in plural or multiple persons. He is one person, one being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one person. So, so you are a oneness. You are uh, from the oneness, um, I guess, doctrine. You would say. I would, I would, I would think that oneness doctrine, a great deal of it, not all of it, but a great deal of the doctrine is from the Gospel of John. And again, you know, I would highly recommend that people actually look at the Gospels, each Gospel in and of itself for what they really are in a very objective way, not believing what man tells you, but believing what history and evidence tells you about it. And Jason quotes from John again, John 1, 1, again, everything from John 1, 1 to John 1, 18. Many scholars say that it, that was added way after the fact, way late. Um, John in, his, in and of itself was written around the late second century. Now, John 1, 1 to John 1, 18 was even later than that. So according to, you know, we, we got scholars that are telling us this. So if that's the case, which it appears to be, um, John 1, 1 through John 1, 18 would not stand in a court of law. Yeah, Vinny says, according to Paul, the flesh does what is contrary to the spirit. Very Gnostic. I believe that the, uh, the, 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 the epistles of Paul are actually more Gnostic than the Gospel of Thomas. Will says, yeah, it makes no sense, especially, yeah, does the word, can the word create, can the word be spoken without the one who spoke it? 
Trish says, so if we don't believe John, then we don't believe the revelation. No, 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 don't get, again, you, you, please, please don't under, don't misunderstand me. Okay? When I say John, I'm not talking about first, second, or third John. I'm not talking about revelation. Again, when I say John, the gospel of John, the gospel of John, it is a mystery who actually wrote it. Because if it was written the way they, the way the evidence that we have shows that it was written probably mid to late second century. If that's the case, John, it could it could not have been the disciple John. It could not have been anybody that was alive during the days of of Jesus. Trish says, "Who is the king of Salem?" It is quite accepted. Now. I'll, <laughs> Again, if you if you go if you go by the modern Christian narrative, it's you know well it was Jesus that came in the flesh or something like that, right? It was in the flesh, by the way, and so it is it is again looking when it comes to this kind of stuff, especially in the book of Genesis. I think it's very very uh, important to look to the scholars that know a lot about the book of Genesis. Having said that, it is quite well accepted that the king of Salem was Shem. Shem. As in Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the son of Noah. Question for Move uh, says, what do you think the gospel according to St. John is about? Uh, it's, I think it shows the authority and divinity of Jesus. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I just can't go into all of it again, all over again. I, I did the video there a few weeks ago uh, on the Gospel of John, and I went through a lot of it again just last Friday in a in a in a live stream that lasted close to eight hours long. Um, and I'm just, you know, it, please, what I'm trying to say, question for move is. If you really want to know more detail about what I'm saying about the, about the Gospel of John, go check out those two videos. Um, perhaps maybe in the future I will do another video about the Gospel of John and maybe put a pack a lot more, get it a lot more concentrated and a lot more information on it. Um, but like, like you think, you think this is the biggest problem. I've said this almost every live stream. It is the absolute truth. And, I, and I'm not going to go too much longer here. But the biggest problem is bibliolatry, idol worship of the Bible canon. And a lot of people, when I say that, it's like 747 just goes right over their head. They don't know what I said. They don't understand me. The biggest problem is the Bible canon has been idolized. The Bible canon is not of God. It is not. The Bible in that sense is not biblical. Nowhere, no prophet, no priest, no king, nobody ever, no apostle, nobody, not even Paul, nobody ever in the Bible ever said the Lord spoke to me, or the Lord came to me, or thus saith the Lord, take, here's a list, and I'm going to take my quill out, and I'm going to, here's a list of 66 books, put them all together in one book, and call it the Holy Bible. And it's no more, no less, and that's the Holy Bible. That's man's creation. Don't get me wrong again, please, because I, I can just hear it. People will say, well, you said the Bible's of man. No, that's not what I said. I said the Bible canon. 
I'm not talking about the individual books of the Bible. That's a, wholly, that's a totally different subject. Isaiah is so packed full of the word of God, and it's so true, and it's so good. Yes, amen to that. The book of James is so good and so true. It's, it's just absolutely wonderful, okay? The gospels are what they are, and I, I listed them from most to least accurate, according to history, according to fact. Okay, we got to look at the Bible for what it really is. It is a library of books. Because we have at least a dozen, if not more, different Bible canons, not translations, not versions, canons within Christianity. And I'm not talking about like JWs or Jehovah's Witnesses or any other, you know, any other group. I'm talking about I'm talking about mainstream Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox Christianity. There's at least 12 different Bible canons. Now, when I point out a book like St. Like John, the gospel according to St. John, if I point that out as being very, very questionable and inaccurate, am I saying that everything is in it and it's a lie? No, I'm not saying that. No, don't get me wrong. Again, please don't understand me, misunderstand me. I'm saying that, that there is a lot in it that is very questionable and some that has been proven to be added by people that wouldn't know much honestly okay but does that mean there's no truth in it no there'll be lots of truth in it does that mean you should throw it out no that just means look at look at it for what it really is look at look at the gospel of john for what it really is and look at the bible for that matter for what it really is it's a library of books it is a collection of books if i go to the if i tell you that there's a book in the library, the main library of the New York City. If I tell you there's a book in there that's 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 completely wrong, it's completely in total error. The whole thing should be thrown out. Does that mean you should throw out the entire library with it? Of course not. Of course not. If I tell you the public li there's a public library in Los Angeles and there's a book in there that's half full of lies. Does that mean the whole by the whole um public library of Los Angeles should should be thrown out? No, of course not. If I tell you there's a book in the in a collection or library of books that we call the Holy Bible, that is not very accurate. Does that mean that the whole Bible should be thrown out? No, of course not. Of course not. We should look in the Bible for what it really is. It is a library of books. In the library itself, the collection, the amount, who, the, man, the men who decided to put certain books in the Holy Bible and make an idol of it, did the wrong it was wrong they should not make an idol of it they should not say this is this is all of of holy scripture no no more no less that's what i mean okay don't cut me out of context don't cut me out of context you just make a fool of yourself don't cut me out of context i'm saying the men who compiled the library that we now now call the holy bible did so of their own accord they did not have 
an angel that come to them and tell them, hey, here's a list of books. Put these books in the Bible. No. The Lord didn't tell them. God didn't tell them. Is it wrong to have a Bible? No, it's not wrong to have a Bible. I have many of them. I hope I hope I a little bit more. Uh, I hope that helps understand a little bit more where I'm coming from. Question for move: Isn't John eighteen thirty one the oldest New Testament manuscript we have, though? Uh, which which manuscript are you are you referring to? One John says, "Wasn't Salem an early name for Jerusalem?" Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The everlasting gospel, but people worship it. Yeah, they worship the Bible. Jason says, I'm sure he thinks this corrupted as well. And you quote Paul. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Again, I, I don't want to stay. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to stay a whole lot longer here. And Jason, I will definitely, you know, it'd be good to have you back. Uh, uh, tomorrow night, we're back. Same time, same place, 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, as well as. Friday night is going to be a very good. Hey, Jason, if if you come back tomorrow, if you can, but if you can't, please, if you can come back Friday night, we have Will with us. Uh, we also have Dr. Snyder. Uh, he's going to be with us as well. And we can talk a lot about this kind of stuff as well. Uh, Jason, um, there's a lot to learn about Paul. <laughs> there's a lot to learn about Paul. <laughs> Oh my, oh my. See, the, bibli the bibliolatry going on here is like everything that Paul wrote is, is holy scripture. Everything's, everything is actually, you know, everything is, is just 100% perfect. And then you got people, and I'm, I'm not saying that you are one of these people, Jason, but then you got people who say uh, that everything that Paul wrote is, is God, God's word for you today. Everything, every word that Paul wrote is God speaking to you today. Obviously, it's not. I mean, we can learn a lot from Paul's writings, but Paul didn't even write to us. He wrote to other people that he knew in those days in certain in different contexts. And by the way, if you read Acts, uh, Acts chapter 21, and you see how James, the leader of the church was James, by the way. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't Paul. It was James. We have that Several historical documents, several books tell us that. It was James. Um, that's why in Acts chapter 21, when Paul came back from his missionary journeys, uh, he reported back to James. That's why in Acts chapter 15, James was the one who could lay down the law. He was the one that he had the final say. He was the one who had the authority, not Paul, not, not Peter. They didn't give Paul a word in edgewise. They didn't allow him to say much of anything because he didn't have the authority to. Acts chapter 21, when Paul got back from his missionary journeys, it was like, hey, Paul, you know, Paul's like all excited. Hey, the Gentiles are coming into the kingdom. They're believing in Yeshua, yada, yada, yada. And James and, and Peter are like, hey, Paul, good to see you kind of thing. You know, what but Paul, listen, listen, Paul, we have a problem. We have a big problem. We heard that you're speaking against the law. We heard that you're speaking against Moses. 
and against the traditions of the and the elders and the Jewish. We heard these things that you're saying things that it doesn't sound very good, Paul. And so, you know, in context, Paul is like, oh, you know, no, no, kind of like that's not the way it goes. Then they're like, oh, listen. You need to prove, Paul, you need to prove to the world that what you're, what you're telling people is not, that, that the rumor, the, the, the things that we, we hear about you speaking against the law, speaking against Torah, is not true. We need, to, we need you to prove that. And the only way for you to prove that is to take the vow, the Nazarite vow, which is, which is by the way, the most strict, hardest um, part of the Torah to observe. And taking the Nazarite vow to prove that you are not against Torah is like skydiving from 30,000 feet to prove that you're not afraid of heights. It's the ultimate proof. And so Paul did that. He took the vow. By the way, uh, again, against what a lot of Christians believe, you know, they all agreed because the Nazarite vow consists of animal sacrifices. They all agreed to that. The offerings, the animal sacrifices are the offerings. And so, again, Jason, I would highly, highly recommend uh, that you open your mind a little bit. I mean, some people <laughs> open your mind a little bit. Um, don't be overly simplified. Don't be. Don't go by over. Don't be overly simplified. Like everything in the Bible is 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 absolutely per perfectly accurate, and everything that Paul ever said is is absolutely perfectly accurate. Voice of One says, "Shepherd of Hermas is in the Codex Sinaiticus. Yes, the oldest Bible known to man. The oldest Bible." One of the original Bibles, that's the oldest Bible, uh, actually has the Shepherd of Hermas in it. Also the Epistle of Barnabas. And by the way, in the Gospel of John and in Mark, you don't have all those added passages and paragraphs and all that added junk in there. You don't have it. It's not in there. The original oldest Bible in the world doesn't have that in there. Fact. Which tells you that it was added after the fact. It was added after the Codex Sinaiticus was printed. Shalom, Asher, Zimri. Shalom, good to see you. Jason, again, you're taking it to the you're taking it to the absolutely extreme. I've never said that. I actually say everything I said was against that. You say throw out the book of John and now the books of Paul. What else do we need to throw out? <laughs> I didn't say that. Didn't say that at all. Not I did not say that at all. I have never said that. In fact, I say the opposite. I say there's lots of stuff we can learn from the books of from from Paul's epistles. And the epistle of John, I've always said, or the, the gospel of John, excuse me, the gospel of John, I've always said, yes, de definitely, uh, we need that for reference. Absolutely. 
The, the, the thing is, Jason, if you, if you, if you get any more narrow, I mean, you can look through a keyhole with both eyes. Okay. Open up and see the big picture. Open up and see the big picture. Understand. Let me, let me make it very simple for you, Jason, make it super simple for you. My point of view and my goal is to believe and practice exactly how the 12 disciples did. Okay. Paul was not called by Jesus to be part of the 12. Another fact. Jesus could have called him when back or in when he got baptized. He could have went out and said, Oh yeah, Paul, Paul, gotta get Paul, gotta get Paul in here to get him trained. No, he wasn't in there and he wasn't trained. Fact. Should we throw out the letters of Paul? I've never, ever said that. Never, ever said that. In fact, almost every live stream, again, Jason, if you know me well enough to know, I think I think every live stream I've ever did, at least in the past year or more, I have referred to Paul's writings to support what I'm saying. I'm, every video. So who was Paul? This is the problem. Jason, I suspect you come from a, a background that treats Paul like a prophet, as if everything that he says is written, the written word of God. And that is simply not the case. He never claimed to be a prophet. He claimed to be a, an apostle. He never claimed to be a prophet. Big difference. There are millions of apostles, okay? He never claimed to be a prophet, but don't and so don't treat him like a prophet. Don't treat him like like you like you would treat Isaiah. Don't quote him like you would quote Deuteronomy. Look at it for what it really is. I mean, Jason, you're if you if Jason, if you are in search for going upstream and finding the pure waters of the doctrine and the practice of the original 12 disciples in the book of Acts church, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. If you're not into that stuff, you're not in the right place. <laughs> you know? I hope you are. I hope you are. I hope that's your, your you know, the way you're thinking. Um, but we got to look at things for what they really are, not for what man tells you they are. Just because Paul's epistles are in the Bible doesn't mean that it's equal to Isaiah or equal to the Psalms, or Genesis. No way. Far from it. Okay? Far from it. The ones who delivered the scriptures to us, the, the Jewish people, have told, they know there, there is a hierarchy of scripture. There are books that are more authoritative, books that are less authoritative. The devil knew that, and Jesus knew that. That's why Jesus, when he, when he was in the temptation of uh, the devil, when the devil was tempting him, he quoted from the highest authority. The devil quoted from the lowest authority. They knew what they were doing, okay? The problem is a lot of Christians today don't know what they're doing. And then it's like every book's the same. Or even worse than that, Paul, uh, Paul's writings are even uh, above the writings of, of anything else. Even worse. Um, yeah, so...
Will says, the point is that Torah and Tanakh are the true scriptures. Amen to that. By the way, let me, I'll just stop there before I read the rest of that comment. Jason. This is the thing. Every time it says scriptures in the New Testament, it's not talking about the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't even considered to be quote unquote scripture until perhaps how many decades at least after they were written after Paul was long gone after James and John was all long gone. Okay. It wasn't considered to be scripture. When Paul sat down and wrote a personal letter to his buddy, Timothy, he didn't know that we, that billions of people would have it in their homes right now. He had no clue. That's, that was not part of the, um, that was not on his mind at all. It was a personal letter. Somebody broke into the mailbox stole his mail and copied it and somebody else copied the copy and somebody else copied the copy and copy and the copy and all these copies started being produced and that's how all these corruptions and all these different changes and all these all of these variants happened because of all these copies why why are there over they said there's hundreds of thousands of variants of the new testament scriptures why because when they were copied back in those days they were not viewed as holy scripture please if you don't understand that Come to square one, okay? Learn the ABCs. When these, when the New Testament books were copied, they didn't have Xerox machines, they didn't have computers, they didn't have scanners, they didn't have cameras, okay? They had quills and they had parchment, okay? And they had to be copied by hand. And many of the, many of the manuscripts that were copied were copied by amateur scribes. And on top of that, these amateur scribes inserted and interpolated things into the into the books that they were copying that were not originally there and not originally uh, supposed to be there at all. It wasn't the author who put it in there at all. You got to know these things. So the reason why there are so many variants, i.e. corruptions, of the New Testament books is because back in those days, they weren't considered to be scripture. What was scripture in the days of Peter, James, and John, and Paul? What was considered to be scripture? The Tanakh was. The Tanakh was considered to be scripture. Period. Everything else was just whatever. Like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Well, John wasn't written until way long, long after the fact. I mean, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, even they spent decades before they even wrote anything. In fact, they don't even know. Well, it was actually Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by the way. It's just names that were actually added to it. But anyway, um, when they wrote what they wrote, they were writing it like how you read Luke, right? It's like to Theopolis, you know, that you would know, you know, these things, right? They didn't write it to be Holy Scripture. They just wrote it as a, as a, as a, like a booklet or like a, like a, like a, a, a biography of Jesus. Just like how some people today, they write books about, you know, Queen Elizabeth or something like that. Or they write a book about whoever. Um, does that mean everything it says in there is true? No. Does that mean we should throw it out? No. Because there could be a lot of things in there that's true. And how do you know? Study. Don't be ignorant and just say, oh, let's throw it out. No. You got to study because you, you got to eat the meat, leave the bones. You got to have the intellectual capacity and the critical thinking capacity 
to discern the truth from falsehood. So, sorry about that. Well, I know I in, in, uh, inserted a whole lot in there. So, yes, the point of, the, of that Torah, the point is that Torah and Tanakh are the true scriptures. All else are books of references. If we only had Tanakh, we would be much better off without this, with all, all this confusion. Yes, I would go as far as to say if, if we didn't have a Bible canon, because they didn't really back in the days of Yeshua. They didn't really. They had each each scroll was kept on it was independent of each other and that's the way it was. Um that way each book maintained its individuality. You looked over there to Daniel. Oh, okay, Daniel that was not written in Jerusalem, that was not written. That was written in, you know, over in the other this this was Daniel was written over here by Daniel in this time of uh, during this time frame and in this culture, not in the other culture, not in the same culture that Isaiah was written in, not certainly not the same culture as Moses was written in. So you got to take all that into consideration. And so when you do that, then you, you your mind opens up. And I guarantee you, Jason, I guarantee you. If you look at things like this. Your relationship with God and your knowledge of the scriptures will just, just blossom. It will be so fruitful. You will look back and you would say, like next year, you'd look back and you'd say, man, I never knew what I was missing. I never knew how far, how deep my relationship with God can go. I never knew my how much knowledge I could attain and how strong my faith could be. I testify to that. Like again, not tomorrow night, but the night after that, Lord willing, we'll have Will Davis on with us as well. He testified to that as well. He's like, man, it's like, wow, I just, I never, like my faith, my knowledge, my relationship with God grew so much. I never even knew it was possible. And yes, to go along with the modern Christian narrative, the corrupt Christian gospel of, you know, the, the 66 book Bible is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God, no more, no less. And all you got to do is say the sinner's prayer and you're saved. Super extra, super simple. Like, it's, it's just overly simplified. And it's really puts God in a box and it puts your faith in a box it puts your knowledge in a box don't don't expect to go too far don't expect to grow too much with that kind of thinking you've got to think outside of the box think outside of the box when Paul came to Berea in Acts chapter 17 with the noble the honorable okay again they were not they were not rebuked they were not um, they were not, they didn't get a bad name for what they did. Okay. They were called honorable, noble men. What did they do? They listened to what Paul had to say. They listened to quote unquote Paul's gospel and they would not accept any part of it unless they sought first in the scriptures. They, they searched the scriptures daily to see that the things that Paul said to test, to test Paul. 
to see if what he said was true. What scriptures did they have back in those days? Certainly not the letters of Paul. Certainly not the Gospels. The New Testament didn't exist back in those days. The scriptures that they had was the Tanakh and the Tanakh alone. They said, Paul, okay, we'll hear you out. We'll take notes. But we'll test everything you say against the Tanakh. And they did. And they were called honorable and noble for that. We should do the same. We should do the same. Voice of One says, Amen, brother, I agree. Make the ancient new again. 2 Timothy 3.16 wasn't referring to Paul's writings, but it doesn't exclude them either. Well, yeah, when Paul sat down to, to write to Timothy saying, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for rebuke and in, in, in instruction and in righteousness. He wasn't talking about his own letters. He was talking about the Torah, number one, the Tanakh, the things that were considered to be scripture in, in, in his day. Timothy certainly, I can guarantee you, guarantee you, when Timothy wrote, when he read that letter, he didn't think about Paul's letter. He thought about the Holy Scripture, i.e., book of Isaiah, Hosea, Obadiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, especially, last but certainly not least, actually I should say last but foremost, the Torah. According to Exodus 19 in, in Numbers chapter 12, the Torah is on top, on top. Jason says, I agree, Peter, J Peter, John, and James' writings are from the from true apostles trained by Yeshua himself. Never considered Paul one of the twelve at, or as authoritative. I consider the Torah and prophets the foundation. That's exactly what I just we were just talking about. Amen. That's very good. Uh, very good. Scripture is Tanakh, says Davy. Amen to that. That's exactly how they viewed it back in those days. If I wrote to, if I wrote an email to you guys, okay, and I said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, you know, it's it's good for instruction and in righteousness. You're not going to think that my let my email to you is is what I'm talking about. You're going to think that what I'm talking about is the Holy Scriptures, right? That's how, that's how Timothy took it. That's how Paul meant it. Yeah, you guys. Uh, okay. Okay, guys. I'm going to wrap it up. Some One more. Just one more here. On TikTok. Sorry, you guys. On TikTok, I haven't been spending a whole lot of attention over there. Uh, why not practice the uh, like the uh, like the prophets did? Why not practice like the like the prophets did? Well, this is the thing. Connor, this is the thing, Connor. Uh, when I say I want I want to believe and practice how the 12 disciples did, I believe that they believed and they believed and they practiced as the, as the prophets did. So it is, it's, it's, it's the same. When I say, you know, what I'm saying, it's pretty much the same as that. And when I'm, when I'm talking about the Tanakh being like the foundation or, you know, you, you need to test everything 
with against the Tanakh, including all the New Testament. You didn't test it all against the Tanakh. When I'm saying that, that's exactly what I'm saying. Practice like the prophets did. Okay, guys, got to run. I'll see you again tomorrow night. Same time, same place. 7 p.m. Eastern. We're going to uh, pick up where we left off, continuing our chronological Bible reading and fellowship and discussion. I appreciate every one of you guys. Thank you for your questions and your comments. You guys are awesome. I will see you again tomorrow night. And again, Friday night is a special, special service, Lord willing, with Will and Dr. Snyder. Saturday, normally, uh, as as per normal, Lord willing, we'll be back 2 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m., not 7 p.m. It's the only day we go on 2 p.m., not 7. Um, and we'll be back with a, a, a Shabbat fellowship, okay? All right, so. All right. I will see you guys then. One John says, thank you and shalom. Thank you very much, brother. And again, I apologize if I don't, if I miss some of your, uh, um, your comments, but uh, it takes about maybe, you know, 20, 30 seconds to get from me to you and back to me. So um, anyway, guys, I'll see you again tomorrow night. Same time, same place. Join me then. And invite your friends and family members as well that you think that might be open to talking uh, about these kind of things. Amen. All right, guys. I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you guys tomorrow.